0: Praise the Lord. It's so good to have everybody here. Amen. We are so blessed to have Anisa. Did I say it right? Hallelujah. There is a God and He is good. <laughs> so good to have you, Anisa, and so good to have your wonderful husband back here with us. Amen. So good to have both of them here. Amen. How many knows that if if you serve God and sometimes even if you don't things happen in your life that just don't just happen. Right? We God doesn't operate by accident. He's intentional. Amen. And it was it had to be God to get this Catholic boy to walk into a Pentecostal church. It just had to be and simple (laughs) my whole family was like where are you going to church I was in a cult according to them for a while but you know God had his hand on my life so what was I going to do you know I don't want to be found fighting against God so it's so good to to be in his presence today and as I read in the beginning of the first service he is we are in his presence he is here Amen. It wouldn't matter if it was here or downstairs or in another building. Wherever the people of God are, that's where the presence of God is. And But he is an omnipresent God, isn't he? Amen. He's omnipotent, omnipotent. He's omni-everything. He's the mighty God. Amen. In the way of... Uh, announcement. Brother Parker asked me to just to reannounce about men's camp coming up. If you haven't registered, register. Uh, Also next Saturday, Brother Wayne will be uh, hosting the men's uh, prayer meeting here. I will be out of town, but I believe the pastor and other the other men will be here. We're going to be talking about the foolproof man. Uh, Brother Wayne back there in the back, our head usher is going to be bringing the lesson. So I encourage you to be here. It's it's going to be a good time and uh then uh, back in September when we have men's com- men's meeting here we might just go out and do breakfast in September we'll we'll, we'll plan on that next Sunday all church picnic at the church out on our property here on this side of the building uh the church is going to be providing the meat where everyone else is going to be bringing something we're going to have some 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 tent type of awnings put up we're going to have uh Cornhole and some other games out there, and so we encourage you to come next Sunday, only one service at 1030, and then after the service, we'll be doing our picnic, the Lord willing and the weather permitting, out here on our property on this side of the church. Ladies' Fellowship, next, sorry, 19th of August. Details to follow. If you have any questions, see Sister Demuth. Move the Mission offering given by August 20th. Everybody knows what Move the Mission is, right. She's for Christ. Amen. Getting our missionaries taken care of. I'm, I'm the product of a military missionary in Okinawa, Japan. And I'm thankful for Sheaves for Christ slash Move the Mission, providing a place for them to live and a car for them to drive, that they could be there when I was there so I could find this truth. That's good, isn't he? Anything else? Am I missing anything? Um, bring your lawn chairs. Yes. We only have the folding chairs downstairs, and we're not sure if those are going to make it out in that dirt. So if you if you've got some some kind of lawn chair or some kind of thing you want to bring to sit in, that'd be great. And uh, if you if you've got a favorite drink, if you want to bring a cooler with your favorite drinks, if it's water, soda, whatever that is, bring just bring what you want to drink. Amen. I'm trying to do my best here. The pastor's out. Hallelujah, brother Richard. Mind yourself. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Amen. Well we bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of praise. Oh, we bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you The sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of joy. Oh, the name of the Lord is... A strong tower, the righteous run into it, and they are saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, all oh, the righteous run into it, and they are saved. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Most high. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Most high. Well, the name of the Lord is… A strong tower, oh, the righteous run into it, and they are saved. The name of the Lord is, O oh, a strong tower, oh, the righteous run into it. And they are saved. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Most high. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Most High. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Most High. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Most high. We love you, Jesus. We bless your name. We honor you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Oh, Father, from the, from the end of, to the beginning, God, you know all things. You are the God of all gods, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords today and always, Father. Hallelujah. We serve a great and mighty God. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Well, how great is our God, how great is His name, He's the greatest one, He's forever the same, that's what the Word says, when He rolled back the waters of the mighty Red Sea. Then he said, I want to lead you, so put your trust in me. Well, how great is our God, how great is his name, he's the greatest one, he's forever the same. When He rolled back the waters of the mighty Red Sea, then He said, I want to lead you, so put your trust in me. Let's sing that one more time this morning. How great is our God, how great is His name. He's the greatest one. He's forever the same. When He rolled back the waters of the mighty Red Sea, then He said, I want to lead you. So put your trust in me, Lord. We want to trust you unequivocally, Lord. We want to trust you with our whole heart our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole being, O God. We put our trust in You, God. You've never let us down, O God. You're always faithful, God. You're always there when we call upon Your name, Lord Jesus. You are a faithful God. You are the mighty God. You are the everlasting Father, and You are the Prince of Peace. You are our peace, O God. Hallelujah. We thank You, Jesus. We thank You, Jesus. Thank You for Your goodness and mercy and grace. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, You're so mighty, God. Oh, we're so undeserving of Your blessings, O oh God. But we thank You for making us worthy by Your blood today. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well ain't God good to give us so many blessings undeserving that's what we are We ought to thank him oh love and praise him a little more today and a whole lot more tomorrow Well, ain't God good? To give us so many blessings undeserving. That's what we are. We ought to thank Him. Oh, love and praise Him a little more today. And a whole lot more tomorrow. Well, ain't God good? To give us so many blessings undeserving. That's what we are. Oh, we ought to thank Him. Oh, love and praise Him a little more today. And a whole lot more tomorrow. Hallelujah. Jesus. Oh, we want to be careful to thank you today, God, for your goodness and mercy and grace. Yes. He woke me up this morning. He clothed me in my right mind. I woke up with no feelings of guilt or shame or, or wondering what I did and where I was last night. Amen. I woke up with the Lord on my mind. He let me breathe all night long. He let my heart beat all night long. I didn't have to wake up every couple seconds and tell my heart to beat. He was taking care of that. Amen. We serve a good God today. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Amen. I give honor to our pastor and his wife who are not here. How many knows that you have to have a pastor to be saved? I have to have a I don't know about you but I have to I need a pastor in my life for me to be saved. How many knows that your pastor is your spiritual head? If you call yourself a member of this congregation or any congregation if you uh, if you feel like you you're a part of this group this this fellowship and you, and you have a pastor then he is your spiritual authority. Amen. It's, it's important that we understand that and that we lift up and honor our pastor in prayer every day. Because he is the one that God has ordained to bring us the word of God. Now, I know I get up here and, and teach and Sister Linda gets up here and teach and God has also ordained and anointed us to do that. But he is our spiritual head because so, there's a headship and there's authority headship in the kingdom, and we need to understand that and realize that we 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 whether we like it or not he's our spiritual head so i don't know about you, but I want my spiritual head to be to be blessed I want him to be lifted up I want him to hear from God for me amen so we miss our pastor. I'd rather him be up here than me, but amen. As I said earlier, God doesn't do anything by accident. All, all these things that have happened today have been ordained by God, and so such as, as where we are right now. And so I'm going to just honor the Lord and honor what He's told me to bring to you today. And it's going to be up to you. Sister Linda already brought this out. It's going to be up to you to do with what you've been given. That, that karate instructor can teach you until he can stand there and teach lessons on karate, Sister Linda, until the cows come home. But if you don't take that stuff and apply it and use it, it's just him just talking. It's useless information. You might as well not waste your money anymore and just quit going to those classes if you're not going to participate in what's being instructed, right? So God brings us the Word. They, You know, John the Baptist, they didn't like it, but he they... they he was a prophet. He was bringing the Word. So here we go. Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Having therefore these promises. Everybody say these promises. Dearly beloved. Who is that? That's us. That's you. We're the church. We're the dearly beloved that Paul's talking to. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness. Holiness is a word that's sometimes misunderstood, but we're going to get into that. It's not a word that needs to be misunderstood, is it? If you understand what, the, what it means out of this book, it's simple. Very simple. So this scripture says Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a wicked place. Just think about L.A. Or just think of some large city somewhere that's just just totally out there, just wicked. Just all kinds of debauchery and things going on, right? And multiply that times about a hundred. It was bad in Corinth. It was really bad. Worse than you can imagine. But there was a church in Corinth. In the midst of all that sin and debauchery and all that mess, there was a church. There was a body of believers that were there. And Paul was writing these letters. And where did Paul write the letters from again? Prison. He was in prison when he wrote the letters. Trying to encourage somebody else while he's in prison. Trying to encourage the church to to tell them, I'm not going to be here all that much longer. You all, here's what you need to go on and go on and live for God. And so that's what he was doing here. And he was addressing the church. These weren't just books that he wrote. He wrote letters. anybody ever wrote a letter? Not in a long, long time, right? <laughs> I I wrote a letter not long ago. And you know, in cursive, which most people can't read. And by the time I got through a page of that letter, my hand hurt. <laughs> How many remembers having to, to write stuff in class? <laughs> write this 150 times <laughs> in cursive. The Catholic all-boys high school that I went to, when you went to, it wasn't called detention, it was called JUG. JUG was an acronym for Justice Under God. <laughs> and when you went to jug, you just didn't write, I will not do whatever, 1,500 times. They made you write the whole student manual <laughs> till they got tired, right? <laughs> so, having therefore these promises. What promises? What are these promises that he's referring to? I'm going to refer a lot to something called Barnes notes on the Bible here this morning it's called Barnes notes. It's basically a commentary, but it's it's pretty accurate. And um, I have I've heard many, many preachers over the years use this. And so I'm going to probably use it a lot more than I normally would. But what this guy has written and, and kind of explaining some of this is very good. It's, so it's something for us to you know, this is. This is part of how I study the Bible, okay? I don't just read the King James Bible. I know. Don't freak out. Paul didn't either, so we're all good. <laughs> but I've got on this iPad, I've probably got 40 different Bibles and commentaries and all this stuff, and I like to study it. I like to dig down and see what, what were they saying in the Greek? What were they saying in the Aramaic? What, what were they saying in that culture of that day? They didn't live in the culture like we live in. They didn't have cars. They didn't have Internet. They didn't have 7-Eleven. They didn't have none of that. So it's a very different culture that they were living in. And Paul wrote from that cultural perspective to that cultural people. So we, we can't think of this in terms of our American Western culture thinking, okay? So those promises that were referred to here in Barnes notes it says the promises referred to in 2 Corinthians 6:16 6, through 18. The promise that God would be a father and a protector and a friend. The idea that is that as we have a promise that God would dwell in us that we that he would be our God that we would be that he would be to us a father, we should remove from us what whatever is offensive in his sight. And become perfectly holy. And I'll read to you in the King James what those scriptures say. So in context of what Paul was saying, he was writing a letter. And so he's referring back to the previous paragraph, if you will, that he was writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Verse 18, And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So God was prophesying through Paul to the church. And is the Word of God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Isn't that what it says? So does this apply today? It absolutely applies today. God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When everything else is gone, His Word's going to stand. And so we've got to apply this to our lives right now. When Sister Linda was bringing that wonderful message this morning, you needed to be applying that right now, just like those karate lessons. You needed to be thinking about How does this apply to me? Because God, you're, you're going to see where I'm going with this. God's expecting us to have a part in this. Amen? And so that scripture goes on to say, it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. This is probably going to be more teaching than preaching, if that's okay. Let us cleanse ourselves, according to Barnes Notes, says this, let us purify ourselves. Paul was not afraid to bring into view the agency of Christians themselves in the work of salvation. He therefore says, let us purify ourselves as if Christians had much to do, as if their own agency was to be employed, and as if their purifying was dependent on their own efforts. But wait a minute, we can't save ourselves, can we? But what does that one scripture say? Save yourselves from this untoward generation. What does that other scripture say that talks about? Study to show thyself approved unto God. And many others. While it is true that all purifying influence and all holiness proceeds from God. That's a key. It is also true that the effect of all those influences of the Holy Spirit is to excite us to diligence to purify our own hearts and to urge us to make strenuous efforts to overcome our own sins. Thank you for teaching that this morning. God just knows how to confirm His Word. He who expects to be made pure without any effort of his own will never become pure. He who, And he who ever becomes holy will will become so in consequence of the strenuous efforts to resist the evil that's in his own heart and to become like God. Doesn't it say in the Old Testament that our hearts are desperately wicked? Who can know them? We can't know, really, our own inner, deep inner person, really. There's stuff in here that I don't even know exists, but there's stuff in each one of us. There's a there's a propensity and a capability in each one of us to do unheard of things. And so we've, it's, it's up to us. When I, came, when I came out of the Catholic Church, when I came out of that lifestyle that I was living, which was not in keeping with the Catholic Church by any stretch of the imagination, there were some things I had to walk away from. There was some stuff I was doing in my life. When I realized of this truth, there were some things in my life that I had to make some choices and decisions about. Am I going to keep living this way if this book says i got to live this way? There were some choices I had to make. Because there's lots of people out there that try to live according to this book, but then they straddle the fence and they try to live over here according to the way they want to live. And how many has ever tried to straddle a chain-link fence or any kind of fence? It's not easy. You ever seen one of those guys that's walking that tightrope across Niagara Falls or something? That's what it's like. The the, The only time I ever tried to straddle a fence, it didn't turn out well. Let's just say I landed in the middle. Yeah, it was painful. The argument here is that We have the promises of God to aid us. We do not go about the work in our own strength. It's not according to your strength. You can't save yourself. It's not a work in which we are to have no aid, but it's the work which God desires and where He will give us all the aid that we need. I couldn't just lay those things down. Some of that stuff I had done for years. Some of it I found easy to lay down. Some of it I struggled with. I couldn't immediately lay those cigarettes down. Some of that stuff, I needed the Lord to help me. And the Lord helped me. But I had to be determined. I had to make up my mind that, okay, something different just happened in my life. I don't know why I feel different, but when I came out of that water in the East China Sea, something was different when they called the name of Jesus over me, I can never explain it to this day, but something changed. But if I didn't do anything with that, if I just kind of laid that to the side and just went on about my merry way, I probably wouldn't be standing before you today. I'd have been lost. Because lots of people renege on God. They make a commitment at the altar. They make a promise. They say, God, I'll serve you until kingdom come. And then something happens and they change their mind and they walk away from the very promise they just made. But I thank God that he's faithful. Because, see, I had the Holy Ghost nine years before I walked into that church in Okinawa, Japan. I got the Holy Ghost in a church in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Did I know what I had? Nope. Not a clue. Did they teach me in that church? For some reason, they didn't. They didn't sit me down and say, okay, now here's what you got. Here's where it is in the Bible. Here's what you need to do with it. They didn't do that. They just wanted me to come be faithful to the church on the pew. So nobody taught me. Nobody told me what I had. So what happened? Over time, I just kind of got, kind of fell back into my old ways. And I did that for nine more years before the Lord put me in the military and took me to that island and showed me this truth. But for nine years, I had the Holy Ghost. I didn't know it. And I never could figure out for those nine years why I felt guilty all the time about all that stuff I was doing, partying and all that stuff. It never just felt fun anymore. And I could never figure it out until one day. It dawned on me. The Holy Ghost was convicting me that entire time. I just wasn't listening. Cleansing ourselves is not to be a one-time event. We don't just go down in the water in Jesus' name and boom, we're done. We're cleansed. It's all good, right? not how it works. We do take on His name. He washes away every sin and every stain when we do go in that water. That does happen. But life goes on, doesn't it? It's a daily walk. We walk by faith and not by sight. You can go through the whole New Testament. It's all about a walk. Even in the Old Testament when Israel had to follow the, the laws that God laid down, it was a daily thing they had to do every day. They had to wake up every day and say I'm going to live for God today. I'm going to follow God today. We have to do that. It's not automatic. It's a daily consecration. We must remember Paul's words in Romans 7. I'm reading out of Barnes notes. We m- must remember Paul's Words in Romans 7 where he indicated that there would be a wrestling of or between our flesh and spirit. Paul said that. Why did Paul say that? Because Paul was wrestling with his flesh and spirit. Paul wasn't referring to some third person. He was referring to himself. So our consecrated life won't just be a walk in the park. We will be something we wish but we will be something we have to devote ourselves to every day with the consistency and determination in order to maintain our close relationship with the God who saved us we got we we have a part in this i'm talking about perfecting holiness the passion translation has a note on verse 1 of of second corinthians 7 it says this or purify yourselves believers today must take an active and disciplined approach to spiritual maturity and living holy lives okay what's that word holy holiness what does that really mean it's just simple it's very simple separation when i said i when i stood at that altar of holy matrimony and i said i do what did i just say with those two words. I committed to saying separating myself to her and no other. Right? Isn't that true? Isn't that what we do? I've committed to one and that's it. That's that All the rest of them might be pretty, might be nice, but I've made my choice. I've made my decision. That's how it is. Our relationship with God is like a marriage. He's the... Husband, we're the bride. We are the bride of Christ, are we not? And so it's it's going to take effort on our part. God's not just going to just, we're not automatons. He's not just going to separate us and call it good. And we don't even have to think about it. We can just walk and live for God every day because God's making us do it. That's not how it works. In a relationship, is it? <laughs> we, we're getting ready to celebrate 39 years. I, it didn't just happen. <laughs> it has been some effort along the way. There's been some struggles along the way. There was kids in the in the mix there, and there was definitely some struggles along the way with two boys. So, and we've we've struggled, and we've had we've had all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, we still. It boiled down to one thing: we made a commitment. I don't care what kind of struggles come. I don't care what kind of things come our way. It's none of it's worth saying so so long and are to that. Too many people find it easy to just walk away from those kind of relationships in our day, don't they? They say that the divorce rate is fifty percent. I think it's more. Because people get to looking on the other side of the fence and think the grass is greener over there, and so they just leave and go find some other grass. And then they got to still mow that grass because it might be greener, but you still got to take care of it. <laughs> Grace never removes our responsibility to be faithful to God. Grace empowers us to do what pleases God. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God, not us, which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Whatever you want, God. How do you? What, what can I do to please you, Father? Isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't He just spend His whole life on this earth trying to do what His Father told Him to do? I know some of us not maybe not have had the best Father in our life, naturally. But that's not the same as our Heavenly Father. We can't equate the two. He's our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He loves us. He wants the very best for us. He wants to be able to work in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And He's not going to force that on you. Is He? He is not going to force this on us. There's a song, I choose to be a Christian. I choose to be like Him. Nobody's making me do this. This is how I choose to live. You decide for you and I'll decide for me. It's a choice. (laughs) I say this all the time up here. He blessed us and cursed us with choice. We have a free moral agency. We have a choice and a decision to make. But you're going to have to live with your decision. Whatever that is. And it's really more than one decision. It's decisions that we make every day. It's not automatic that I wake up serving God. I have to wake up every morning and say, thank you, God, for putting breath in my body. Thank you for allowing my feet to feel the floor. For having two of them down there to feel the floor with. I mean, just, just I, before I even put my feet on the floor, I got there's hundreds of things I'm thanking Him for. Because He loves me. So, anyway, Second Corinthians six fourteen through sixteen says, "But be ye not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what, what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath?" Uh, he that believeth with an infidel. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. We all know that scripture. Or most of us do. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't have any fellowship with unrighteousness. We like to take that scripture to the extreme that it was never intended. This Scripture does not, let me emphasize, does not say to have absolutely no fellowship or dealings with unbelievers or to avoid them completely. It does not say that. But for years and years and years, that's what's been done. That's how that Scripture was read. You know what they call that? Isolationism. Isolationism. Jesus didn't follow that. What did he do? He hung around with sinners. Who were the sinners in that day? The, the ones they talked about the most were the tax collectors. <laughs> the IRS. <laughs> Those sinners. IRS people need Jesus too. Who did he go? What, that, he went and touched the guy to heal him. What did the guy have? Leprosy. You didn't touch somebody that had leprosy. Are you nuts? You'll get that. But what did Jesus? He, he didn't. He didn't walk away from those situations. He didn't walk away from blind Bartimaeus. He didn't walk away from the woman caught in the act of adultery. It never said that she wasn't guilty. He never said she wasn't guilty. He all he said was, "Where are thine accusers?" And then he said, "Go and sin no more." Don't do this anymore. He never said that she wasn't guilty. How about the woman at the well? Jesus knew he you know he knows your life. <laughs> and sometimes you got to send the religious people away. Jesus sent his disciples away so they they wouldn't mess up the whole deal with this woman that was coming to the well cuz he knew she was coming. And when he when she got there basically as the story goes he said uh, she said something about her husband. He he goes yeah, and that's your fifth, that's the fifth one you've been with. And the one you're with now it's not your husband, or something like that, right? So he knew her whole deal, man. He knew her whole life. He didn't just turn and walk away from her and say, "Well, you're not worthy." That's not what this scripture says. What did he tell us to do in the Great Commission? At the same time, he's right here. He's telling the church, what he's telling them is, don't go sit in the bar with the people that go to the bar. Didn't say he never said don't try to save them. Just don't go do it in the bar. I did that one time. It was a tiny little bar, smaller in this building, and my brother was there working. And I was on leave in the military, and it was the only chance I had to talk to him, because I was on my way in between. I was I was like home two days, and then I had to be to another duty for some training. So I only had a couple days, and it just so happened that he had to work. And I, I had, this was so new to me. This whole thing was so new to me, and I had to tell him. And so thankfully, there was nobody but him in the bar that night. It was empty. So I got to sit at the bar and tell my brother about Jesus. And no, I didn't have anything to drink. <laughs> I did. I had a Coke. It was on the house because my brother was a bartender. But, you, you know, those that was one opportunity. That was one time. Jesus rubbed shoulders with all kinds of people. Why did he do that? Well, there were several reasons. Yeah, he loved them. But he knew that he was going to have to tell us, through Paul, who said, follow me as I follow Christ, to go. They're not in here. Jesus didn't sit in a building and say, all right, everybody, come to me. He never said that. He went to where they were. He went to the synagogue. He went to where the poor people were. He went to where the tax collectors were. He went to he went to one tax collector's house, didn't he? Little short man that had to climb up in a tree, right? The little kids sing a song about that, don't they? <laughs> Zacchaeus. Even in the Catholic Church, I remember singing that song about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus come down. Anyway, that's right. Why? Why Zacchaeus? What was different? What did, Something Zacchaeus did. He, he repented. He had a repentant spirit. He had a repentant heart. He knew some of the stuff he was doing was wrong, and he openly admitted it to the Lord. And he said, not only am I going to admit it, but I'll make it good four times that. Whatever it takes. He was willing to do whatever it took to have a relationship with this man called Jesus. Even to to the point of being just reviled and just talked about like a dog by his own fellow tax collectors. He didn't care. Because what was more important to Zacchaeus was his relationship with the Master. And it tells us in that scripture that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, that we should cleanse ourselves, what? From all filthiness of the flesh. Barnes notes says, the noun used here, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it, occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. It's a noun. The verb version of it appears in other places in the New Testament. It means to stain, to defile, to pollute, or as a garment. And the word used here means a soiling, hence defilement, pollution, and refers to the defiling, corruption, corruption, Corrupting influence of fleshly desires and carnal appetites. Do we have that? Sitting in this room right now? Full of the Holy Ghost? Baptized in Jesus' name? Do we have that? Fleshly desires and carnal appetites? Oh, yeah. I love some chocolate chip cookies. Made with double chocolate chips. That's a to me, that's a carnal appetite. <laughs> I'd eat the whole box. <laughs> Getting to where i finding out that I can't eat the whole box. I can only eat about one or two because I pay a price for that. So we can have those things even though we're being filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. This is Paul writing to the church, people in the church at Corinth, isn't it? Am I right? Okay. The filthiness of the flesh here denotes evidently the gross and corrupt appetites and passions of the body, including all such actions and of all kinds as are inconsistent with the virtue and purity with which the body, regarded as the temple of the Holy Spirit, should be kept holy. All such passions and appetites as the Holy Spirit of God would not produce. Things in us that the Holy Ghost would not produce. We're capable of that. When we when we get saved, does the, does the Lord put a, a big fence around us and, and, and say, keep out? And then the devil just says, well, I can't tempt them anymore. Man. Right? That's not how it works, is it? He'll tempt somebody to do something when they walk out the door of this church. He's ever after us. He is ever after us. If you've never heard this message, and I can give you a copy of it if you want, it was it was preached by a guy named T.G. McNeely, and it was called Trophies of Hell. And it was about his own father that was in the ministry, pastored for 30-some-odd years, and walked to the pulpit one day and resigned and walked away and went straight to the bar. And he fought his... the rest the, Brother McNeely fought the rest of his life to get his dad out of that bar. And he talks about that whole thing. It doesn't, the devil is no respecter of persons either. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons, but I'm here to tell you the devil don't care who you are. He'll work on you until he can get you to just let go for just a second. Just a second. Just let him get a toe in the door. That's all he'll get a toe. We won't let it the rest of the way in. All such passions and appetites as the Holy Ghost of God would not produce. So you have to ask yourself when you're in those situations, is this from God or is this from me? Is what I'm thinking from God or is it me? All filthiness of the flesh and spirit. We all have a human spirit, we don't we? That's how we're living. Because the Bible says that in the beginning when God created man, what did he do? He breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. So that's our human spirit, that's our soul. that's how we're still living by the breath of God. He put this breath in us. Barnes notes said, but filthiness of the spirit the, by filthiness of the spirit, the apostle means uh, possibly all the thoughts or mental associations that defile the man. Jesus knew their thoughts. That wasn't just for then, was it? He knows our thoughts right now. While you're sitting there. If you're thinking about the grocery store. If you're thinking about something else. If you're thinking about this thing you got to do when you get home. If you're thinking about what time is it, Brother Demuth, Are you going to be up there all day? God knows that. He knows. I'm just telling you. He knows your thoughts. I might not, but He knows your thoughts. And I don't want to know your thoughts anyway. I have enough problems with my own. I don't need to know yours, but he knows them. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I didn't write that. Thus, the Savior Matthew, the Savior. Matthew 5:19 speaks of evil thoughts, etc., that proceed out of the heart and pollute the man. Jesus talked about it. And probably Paul here includes all the sins and passions which pertain particularly to the mind or to the soul rather than to the carnal appetite, such as the desire of revenge, pride, avarice, ambition, etc. These are themselves, or in themselves, as polluting and defiling as gross sensual pleasures of the flesh what makes my flesh feel good that's we sometimes equate sin with those kind of obvious things but we you know having a wrong thought life and having just all these things revenge and pride and arrogance and and unforgiveness and the, the list could go on and on and on and on and on Filthiness of the spirit. They stand as much in the way of sanctification. They are as offensive to God. And they prove as certainly that the heart is depraved as the grossest sensual passions. The main difference is that they are more decent in external appearance. They can be better concealed. They are usually indulged by more elevated class of society. But they are not the less offensive to God. Hello, scribes and Pharisees, ones that wore all the fancy robes. Oh, what did that one guy say when he went into that temple and the other man was down there beating his chest and saying, I'm, I'm not even worthy to be here, Lord? That other, that, that Pharisee, that religious guy was saying, well, at least I'm not like him. And at least I'm not like him. At least I'm not like that. Isn't that what he said in a nutshell? That's what he's talking about. Perfecting it said perfecting holiness in the fear of god perfecting does that imply being perfect like in our definition of perfect perfect is in like no flaws any anybody in here have no flaws at all anybody I'm not raising my hand just because I think I have no flaws just trying to get you to raise your hand <laughs> None of us have a life that is without some kind of flaw naturally or otherwise. All of us are trying to make it, right? Once again, Barnes notes this word, not going to try to pronounce that one either. I'm not a Greek scholar. Means properly to bring to an end, to finish, to complete. This uh, the idea here is that of carrying it out to completion. Holiness had been commenced in the heart and the exhortation of the Apostle is that they should make every effort that it might be complete in all its parts. He does not say that this work of perfection had ever been accomplished, nor does he say that it had not been. He only urges the obligation to make an effort To be entirely holy. And this obligation is not affected by the inquiry whether anyone has been or has not been perfect. It is an obligation which results from the nature of the law of God and is unchangeable. And it's unchangeable claims on the soul. Every soul belongs to God. You all know that, right? That's what the Bible says. God says every soul is mine. Every soul. The soul that sinneth, one scripture says, it shall die. Your soul is going to spend eternity in one of two places. Period. Stop. End of story. That's what the book says. I didn't write it. God said it. He wrote it. That's what it is. The fact that no one has been perfect does not relax the claim. The fact that no one will be is in this life be in this life does not weaken the obligation. It proves only the deep and dreadful depravity of the human heart and should humble us under the stubbornness of guilt. I'm striving to be perfect. I am. Every day. I'm, I'm working on it. By the help and the grace and mercy of God, I make mistakes. I I fall short. Don't we all? We fall short. But we don't just stay down. When you get knocked down, you don't just stay down there. You get back up. And you fight. You say, no, God, I'm going to repent of this again if I have to. Tomorrow I'll repent of this again until you help me stop doing whatever it is or thinking or whatever it is. That's between you and God. But I'm going to strive for that perfection. I'm going to strive to be more like Him. Like John said, that I might decrease, that He might increase. Galatians 5:16 through 24 says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, it doesn't say we don't have lust of the flesh, does it? It just says walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. What's lust? I know what we think when we hear the word lust. Sometimes we think automatically it goes sexual or something, but lust can be for anything: chocolate cookies, hamburgers, whatever. You can lust after a car, clothing. You just the 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 list is endless. Power. Authority. I mean, you could just... For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. This is Paul talking again. Capital S Spirit there. Our flesh lusts against... There's a there's a battle going on. And the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to the other, so that they cannot do the things... So that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the Spirit, if you will allow yourself to be led by the Spirit of God, and it's not going to be easy sometimes. John the Baptist was letting himself be led by the Spirit of God, and it didn't go well for John. He lost his head over it. He got beheaded because he was listening and obeying the voice of God and saying what God told him to say. It wasn't comfortable, but he did it. Because he was about being faithful to God and nothing else. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Not which were these. these they are. Adultery. This is potential. We have the potential for any of this. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry. What's idolatry? Idolatry. Idolizing something, right? a car, a woman, a basketball team, whatever, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, revellings, that's partying, and such like. so that's not the exhaustive list, is it? and such like. And anything else that I haven't mentioned, that falls in this list too. Of which I tell you before, as I also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you'll let the Spirit lead you, if you'll let God's Spirit lead your life, there's going to be fruit as a result of that. In all of your effort to, to desire to want to do what God wants you to do in your life, these are going to be the fruits of that. Love, joy, peace. Not from not peace and love and joy that I create it comes from him. Long suffering. Well, we need that in this day and age. got long suffering. Having patience, right? Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You gotta tell your flesh no. I'm not doing that anymore. No, I'm not gonna think like that anymore. No, I'm not living like that anymore. I used to go to the gym and work out and bodybuild and stuff like that before I got in church. And I was one of those guys that liked to stand in front of the mirror and and look at myself and all my my cool muscles that I had. And the Lord convicted me about that right after I got in church. And I had to quit doing that. I didn't quit quit working out. I just quit going over there and standing in that mirror. Then eventually I quit working out because I had kids and didn't have time anymore. But God's going to convict you about some things in your life. Oh, that we would have the sensitivity of the Holy Ghost to hear what God is saying when He's prompting us. It might seem something totally innocuous to you, but to God, it's, it's a stench in his nostrils, and he's trying to help you walk closer to him. And we need to have the sensitivity of the Holy Ghost to listen when he's saying that. And even if it's reluctantly at first, we need to be willing to say, okay, God, I'll put that down. Because maybe God sees that that thing, whatever it is, might be, start to become a God in your life that's going to usurp his place. Do you want anything between you and God? Anything? I don't, if somebody's offended you, if somebody's hurt you, and if you're carrying grudge over that, and if you're carrying unforgiveness for that, that's between you and God right now. And you got to give that up. And if God's telling you to give it up, you best give it up. It's for your own good. And as a child, when I, my parents told me to quit doing something, And I wouldn't quit. I bet you all could all guess what happened. (laughs) I got a whooping. That's right. I told you and I told you and I I told you and I told you. And I'm telling you again. (laughs) Right? We got the message then, didn't we? Okay, 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 okay. I don't want to have to go through that with God, do you? Because He will will reprove us. He will rebuke us. He will chastise us. Why? Because He loves us. The only reason He'll do it, because He loves us. He doesn't want to see us lost and spend an eternity in hell over some little thing that really doesn't matter. Amen. Jesus' name. First John one five through ten says this says this then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all not just natural darkness, spiritual darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now this is this is going to get this is this is out of the word of God. If God's talking to you today, that's God talking to you, not me. But you need to receive this. But if we walk in the light, it's our choice to walk in the light. If we walk in the light, if we choose to walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That word cleanseth is the same Greek word that was used in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. Cleanse us from all filthiness of the flesh. Same Greek word. Coincidence? No. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we acknowledge that what we've been doing is not pleasing to God. Because what did David pray in the book of Psalms? Against thee and thee alone have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He was talking to God. David was. What what was he talking about? All that mess that went on with Bathsheba, that other man's wife. He committed murder. He committed Several crimes right there. And that's where David found himself. That's the spirit and attitude of repentance that he had. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't want any unrighteousness in my life. You could define that word unrighteousness a hundred different, twenty, twenty five hundred different ways. Whatever's not pleasing to God, whatever didn't come from Him, whatever's in my life that's pleasing my flesh in some way, shape, manner, or form, that's unrighteousness. You decide what that is for your own life. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. So if the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, then how do we activate that cleansing in our life? How do we get the blood of Jesus applied to our life? Is it only applied once at baptism in Jesus' name? Is that the only time the blood's ever applied? It's the blood that keeps me saved From day to day It will never lose its power For it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley that blood how do we get that blood activated in our life well the first time we get, get it activated is when we come to an altar right and we repent and do what Peter said on the day of Pentecost repent be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost is God a liar has he been true? God's always he always tells the truth. He makes a promise, he keeps it. He makes a vow, he keeps it. So 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9, further down in that scripture where we started, Paul's talking to the church and he says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, this letter, he made them sorry. They they were feeling conviction because Paul wrote this letter, he's coming down on them, right? How many likes to be come, somebody come down on you like that? The boss or somebody at work come down on you for something you did and just just make you feel like a heel. How many likes that? I don't. But sometimes I need that. Sometimes the boss is not yelling at me. He's trying to get me to to walk right and do right. He wants to keep me because he sees value in me being there. So he doesn't want me to keep making that same mistake. So he helps me out by giving me a little counseling to help get me straight. Right? We've all been there, right? At some point in our life, we've all been there. We've kind of got called on the carpet over something. And so that's all Paul is doing. He's not, he's not exercising his authority over them. He's one of them. He loves them. Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners in one place. He said, of whom I am chief. I'm one of you all. He says, "I do not repent, though I did repent. He felt he felt bad for doing it, because these are his people. He loves them. But I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though 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 it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. It's one thing to 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 feel sorry for yourself because you got caught." That's a whole other thing to say, you know what? I got caught and I feel bad and I, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell God. I'm going to put that thing over here and I'm not going to touch it anymore. I'm going to stay away from that. By the grace and mercy of God, I'm going to live a different way. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. Romans 2 and 4 says... our Or despisest thou the riches or the goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? If we're led to repentance, it's because of the goodness of God, because He loves us. He's drawing people to repentance right now in this room. Now, whether you repent or not, that's up to you. And I'm at the end of the message. God is drawing us to a place. Let's all stand in this room. God's dealing with some people in here about some stuff in your life. Only God knows. Nobody else around you knows. I love that about God. He keeps it personal. He just keeps it between me and Him. And if it becomes a known thing, it's got to be me saying it. Because He's not going to just start telling everybody. But God is talking to us. He's been talking to this church for a while. We are coming to a day, Sister Linda already alluded to it, where there, there's a possibility that we're living in a day where they're going to come take our church building away and tell it lock, put a padlock on the door and tell us we can't come back in here. What are we going to do then? What, what, what are we going to do when they start coming to us and saying, do you believe what's in this Bible? you believe what this book says? Oh yeah, absolutely. But you know what's in that book is hate speech, right? you going to still stand and say you still believe it? Because they're going to take people that are guilty of hate speech and they're going to put them in jail. Exactly right. It's, there was a young man in Watertown, Wisconsin last week that was standing on a street corner with a megaphone and a Bible reading Scripture out loud on a public sidewalk in Watertown, Wisconsin. And the police walked up and took him, took his megaphone away and put handcuffs on him and arrested him. All for standing there reading a the bird. Because there was some stuff going on across the street that he, that didn't agree with what this this Bible says. Just standing Exercising his First Amendment rights. They just took his First Amendment rights away. If they'll do that, it's not going to be long, folks. So what's God, what's God trying to say to us? We're the church. She already said it. We're the church, not this building. We are the church. And how is this world going to know who Jesus is? Same way I found out. Somebody that had a love for truth and a love for souls came out, got out of their comfort zone and came to me with something and said, you need to hear this. And I responded to that. But what if they'd have never come? What if they'd have never said anything? I would have never known that, that this book says that I've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. That this book says I've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost in order to be saved. I would have never known that. God knew I wasn't looking for God and he wasn't looking for me he knew exactly where I was he was reaching for me he would not that any should perish the Bible says not that any he doesn't want anybody any human being to perish and go spend eternity in hell he does not want that but he would that all would come to repentance 52,000 people in this city. He, his love for their soul is no different than yours or mine. He loves every soul. He loves every heart. He wants them. He wants us to serve him. We just have to want to. Bad enough to do whatever it takes to walk in concert and and, in relationship with him. It's all about a relationship. It's all about a relationship. Two people don't stay together for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years without having some kind of relationship, right? They've got to come to some agreement on some things, right? And we're not going to argue over this and we're not going to fight over that. We're going to come to an agreement. We're going to meet in the middle on some stuff. That's how people stay together all those those many years in a marriage. It's a relationship thing. And it's only by the grace and mercy of God that today that Vince Demuth is still living for God, because it's not—I can't take credit for it—but I got to wake up every day and say this is how I'm going to live. Because the—believe me—the temptations are there for me to go back to that old life. But what do I have to look forward to in that old life to see who can have the best hangover? I mean, come on. Really? I walked away from that. Why would I want to go back to that? And this world out there needs us. Like Sister Linda said, they need our testimony. I've been in that, that lifestyle. I've done those things. And so I can minister. I can, I can relate with some people out there, but I can't do that in here. I've got to do it out there. I've got to rub shoulders with people. i got to love them. Let the love of Jesus Christ be shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Father, we love you today. You're so worthy today, Lord Jesus. I'm going to shut up, Lord, and let you do the talking. Lord, you're talking to people's hearts and minds right now. Father, you've been talking to them since the minute they sat down in these pews, Father. I don't know who they are. I don't know what you've been talking to them about. But, God, you've been talking, Lord Jesus. You've been dealing, Lord Jesus. All I am is a vessel. All I am is the messenger. Father, you are the one. You're the only one that can save and deliver and heal, Lord Jesus, and restore. And so, God, I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, every heart, every soul, and every mind in this place, Lord, that's listening to the sound of my voice, that's listening to the sound of your voice, Father, that you're dealing with, that you would help them, God. I pray that you would help them come to that place. Father, in the name of Jesus, we've got to get past all the stuff, Lord Jesus, that's holding us back from being the church. Lord, we need to be out there being the church. And so, Lord, we've got to make some decisions. We've got to make up our mind. We've got to repent, Lord Jesus, every day, Lord Jesus, for the things that where we fall short. God, I need you to have your way. Lord Jesus, not our will, Lord, but Your will be done. Not our will. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done through Your people. Lord Jesus, the only way Your will is going to be done is through the people that are in this room, Lord Jesus. We are Your hands. We are Your feet. We are Your voice on this earth. We are Your vessels, O God. We are Your agents. Lord, we're Your conduits, Lord Jesus, and we need to be that. For you and for the kingdom, the souls of this city are depending on us to stand in the gap and make up the heads. They're depending on us to walk right and live right, Lord Jesus. And be that light and that example and not to walk in darkness, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that...